and welcome to the Scholar on the Belt of Road podcast. I'm your host, Oli Malimov. On this episode, I sit down with Tuguldur Bajihu, who serves as the director of the Greater Tumen Initiative Secretariat. The GTI, as it is known, is located right here in Beijing. And frankly, I haven't known about this important initiative prior to knowing Mr. Bajihu. Tuguldur was born in Mongolia and majored in international relations and Japanese studies at the National University of Mongolia and holds an MBA degree from Australian National University. He's been a public servant since 2001 and has had a very successful career so far working at the Treasury, the Ministry of Finance, as well as creating and heading the Mongolian Sovereign Wealth Fund. Now, it was a fascinating conversation as we went back to 1995 when the initiative first came to life and discussed what transformation the initiative is facing now as well as what it looks for in the future. For me personally, it was a pleasure to pick our guest's mind and dig deep into understanding the meaning behind such initiatives as well as how can it serve involved countries businesses, and the youth. We also touched on the Belt and Road Initiatives and looked at the mega project from the eyes of GTI, as well as China's northern neighbor, Mongolia. A lot to ponder on. Enjoy the episode. Tuguldur, welcome to the Scholar on the Belt and Road podcast. Thank you for having me here today. Tuldor, um, Tumen Initiative was established in 1995, which puts this uh, as an organization into the same age group as the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. However, not many of our listeners probably have heard of it. What is Greater Tumen Initiative and what are its main objectives? Yes, it was uh, the whole thing basically started back uh, in a day in 1995 and to give you a bit of an idea, I mean, it's not a well-known institution, so probably should um, cover a bit of a history. Basically, it was a, it's a uh, United Nations Development uh, uh, Program supported uh, uh, project. So back in the day, uh, as let's just say any other now conventional programs would do, they would concentrate on some regional uh, development aspects, uh, bringing um, some of the priority economic areas to the table, and they would. Um, have uh, the participating countries. So that, mm. so back in the day, it was the five countries. Um, the four current member countries of the Greater Tumen Initiative, uh, it is China, Mongolia, Republic of Korea, Russian Federation, and DPRK. Right. right. So um, since 1995 until, let's just say, mid of 2000s, it was a, a one of those conventional regional development programs run um, and supported financially by um, United Nations Development Program. Again, um, they looked into some of the uh, common, I mean, uh, areas of common interest for in terms of regional development. So, of course, it was, uh, you know, transport, infrastructure, trade facilitation, environment, energy, and others, right? So, which are basically have provided the basis for uh, the current platform. So, uh, beginning from 2000, um, 2000 mid, mid of the 2000s, um, member countries, uh, have uh, the participating countries to the development program, have um, come up with an initiative, 
it's still called an initiative, right? right. Uh, uh, to basically uh, transform this uh, platform, this kind of a mechanism, to more member country owned uh, and member driven uh, platform. So that's why, although now it's still administratively supported by UNDP, uh, um, by the UNDP in China. Um, and I mean, it doesn't have a legal status. It's not a legal entity at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it has been transformed into um, an institution, a platform where it um, took on a legacy of the previous uh, program. I mean, right. keeping the economic priority sectors, the whole uh, socio-economic um, background, and basically uh, trying to grow it into something uh, bigger than the just a regional development program run by one of the development institutions. So that's why um, now member com- countries, what they do is they provide annual contributions, which supports the um, annual operations of the um, of this institution called the Degraded Human Initiative. But again, uh, it still runs under the flag of UNDP. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of um, when you look at uh, GTI now, um, it's it could you know um, resemble a kind of a miniature international organization. So it's still it has a governing council called the Consultative Commission. So the national coordinators who are who would be the focal points in other uh, in, in in terms of other institutions manage the activity on a daily basis, and then the main activity revolves around uh, six um, uh, sectoral committees: agriculture, transport. Tourism, energy, environment, trade, and investment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, basically, and then of course the operations are supported by uh, the GTI Secretariat, which is a station in Beijing here. And how many uh, people do you have in the Secretariat? So, full time, uh, full time. Look, uh, including myself, it's eight, eight people mm-hmm. from those uh, four countries. Five yes, countries. yes. Okay. Basically, we try to um, uh, have a representation of all the countries uh, in in our Secretariat. Right. And uh, uh, when it comes to your number one event of the year, is it a summit uh, that are headed by the presidents, prime ministers? What is uh, the pinnacle of the year for you? Yeah. So this is a meeting of uh, the consultative commission. Right. Uh, It's not as high level as you have just described. It's on the vice minister level. So each government would appoint a coordinating ministry. So let's just say for China, it's Ministry of Commerce. For Mongolia, it's Ministry of Finance. Uh, for Republic of Korea, it's Ministry of Economy of Finance. For Russian Federation, it's the Ministry of Economic Development. So the vice ministers responsible for the issue would um, um, gather each year right. to uh, uh, held a consultative commission meeting. So vice ministers would be the members of consultative commission, and it's our, basically our governing council, the top decision-making body. Right, very interesting. And the way you make a decision, is it consensus-based? Yeah, one of the uh, peculiar things, but probably it's dependent on the number of uh, member countries, because it's not that big. So it's 100% consensus-based based, based um, decision-making. Probably mm-hmm. one of the peculiar things I mean, compared to other, of course, bigger, more established institutions. Right. Well, the SEO also is consensus-based organization. Yes. Mm-hmm. So whenever you have uh, less countries, it's probably easier to make decisions, especially on the economic front. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the economic fraud. Can you uh, talk a little bit about the projects that are ongoing right now? And uh, maybe you can share some of the more successful cases. Yes. Um, uh, I should say up front that um, it's not a, a big mechanism, right? Uh, and uh, basically, we don't have those big, robust uh, um, 
uh, large-scale uh, you know, project funding mechanisms. Basically, what it's doing at the moment, uh, the member countries support the Secretariat for its daily operation, and then in turn, Secretariat is assigned to basically, uh, well, the uh, short, I mean, just straightforward, if I put it in more um, simple terms, basically we're assigned to mobilize resources right. for different activities, right? And, uh, uh, of course, um, during the uh, the times of the UNDP program, in that time it was called Tumen River Area Development Program, uh, it had uh, backing and financing from the UNDP itself, right? So uh, uh, I think that uh, back in the day at that time, there were a lot of emphasis would put on actually environmental cooperation, right? Uh, right. Or for, for solving and addressing some transboundary environmental issues, Maybe even like uh, more than half of the budgeting w- w- went there, but then again, since then um, it has uh, uh, become a platform for let's just say more economic uh, for a pla- uh, pla- as a platform for uh, which is more oriented to economic cooperation, right? right. So beyond those um, more narrowed down themes. Um, looking back, uh, let's just say at the last five years, I would say that. It's been. It's mainly have been again uh, with the lack of um, you know, large scale funding resources. Um, it has been uh, acti- active, actively uh, functioning as a policy dialogue platform. Okay. Let's just say a policy dialogue between the governments and on specific um, economic uh, cooperation issues, right uh, along those uh, sectoral across those sectors, as well as let's just say information exchange, knowledge sharing. Uh, some capacity building works um, aimed at building capacity of government officials. You know, bringing um, you know experts together, uh, establishing other you know similar kind of platforms between um, experts within, from this different sectors. So, um, I would count uh, about for the last five years. I would count about roughly uh, almost thirty different small-scale projects. And Again, what do we call the small scale? Is the, can you put a number to it? Let's just say, uh, I mean, it's a, a, a rather shorter-term study projects. Right. You know, um, uh, comparison studies, strategic studies, uh, which would run for a year or two, mm-hmm. and on a scale of all of the, the biggest. We, one strategic we studies have. meaning research. Uh, uh, yeah, studies, I mean, right? it's it's like a high-level research um, mm-hmm. on uh, strategic um, orientation, right? Mm-hmm. So again, uh, I mean. I think you can uh, gather from my uh, explanation that a greater domain initiative is still an institution in the making. Right. Right. So we, um, again, I think uh, well, if you talk about projects uh, nowadays across at least f- three or four sectors, we are concentrating our efforts in trying to mobilize resources, uh, have sponsors to basically come up with uh, uh, new, st- I mean, new strategic studies, right? Some of them were outdated already, so that's why in transport, in environment, in energy, we try to come up with a new strategic outlook. So based on which we would, uh, let's just say, again, um, revamp, revitalize the previous discussions and come up with uh, different um, platforms, different um, discussion mechanisms, different projects in form of, again, uh, those policy dialogues, information exchanges, or even some kind of uh, soft projects, right, Uh where uh, we talk about systems development, harmonization. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the more famous projects uh, between uh, China, Mongolia, and Russia is the railroad project. 
Um, are you somehow uh, involved in this project on a specific uh, level? Um, not really, not at the moment. Um, uh, I think it's been taken up by uh, the other initiative called the uh, Economic Corridor. Uh, right. And probably not even that. You know, it, it's it's been discussed on, on different levels, on, in, in, on different platforms. Um, so we're not actually directly involved. Of course, we exchange information with the um, policy makers and, you know, institutions, government agencies who are responsible for that. Uh, but um, not actively at the moment. But you're also specifically um, focusing on the uh, regions that are one way or another border uh, with each other. For example, the Heilongjiang, uh, the Inner Mongolia, the Dornod, um, Primorsky Krai in uh, Russia or the South Korea's Busan. Uh, what is the rationale behind focusing specifically on these regions? Um I think uh, there's a bit of a legacy, right. as well as uh, um, an attempt to uh, provide more additionality effect to the regional cooperation, right? Because the four member countries of the current initiative uh, have also a, par- uh, a party to other different mechanisms, you know, including the um, SEO, for example. So that's why I guess uh, first again, w- when you talk about legacy, Tumen comes from a Tumen River. It's a uh, uh, border river, uh, which uh, extends, so the border line that uh, is associated with the river itself is 500 kilometers between China and DPRK, right? So basically, it began from there. The right. the, the cradle of uh, this institution basically is the Tumen River itself, um, and I guess because of that, um, uh, alongside uh, intergovernmental cooperation, the national level cooperation. I think the governments also wanted to give this a bit of a regional aspect to it. I mean, sub-regional, regional aspect, re- regions within the countries. So again, those regions that you just mentioned, being uh, one of our focus areas. If we, if we are to talk about infrastructure development as a priority, it will be those regions. Let's just say, we, so we don't talk about northwest China, soft southeast exactly. China, or anything that those regions that connect all yeah. the countries yeah. that are um, member states. So for that reason, transport connectivity is, has been and probably will be and should be one of the main priorities for this initiative. You know, whenever we talk about different projects and region development programs for the future. I'm interested on the business side. How do you involve businesses uh, here in China and in uh, Mongolia, Russia, and uh, the South Korea? Um, uh, do you have uh, some kind of uh, channels that, or some kind of platforms that uh, you organize specifically for businesses to come together and to think about potential cooperation with one another? Exactly. Good question. We are actually working at this at the moment. Uh, so uh, we have succeeded in um, uh, bringing together um, uh, business organizations from, from member countries. So it's national chambers, other national level institutions that represent the business sector. I mean, um, at that level, right? And um, the working title is the Northeast Asia Business Association. But it's, again, it is, uh, I mean, um, uh, work in progress. And we're trying to uh, actually sign the EMOU of establishment of this new association during our upcoming um, Consultative Commission meeting in August. 
Mm-hmm. So again, um, the the founding members would be the national chambers of commerce and industry or um, other um, equivalent level uh, business organizations. I mean, of course, we have them already. So it's um, the national chambers from uh, ROK. So it's an easy, easier start. Yeah, it's an easier start. And it's basically compared to other um, committees and structures which comprise of government institutions, it's business representation, right? So that's why we give, we try to give, let's just say, a full discretion to those business uh, representatives and how they want to uh, utilize the GTI platform in order to promote, I mean, business-to-business dialogue, government-to-business dialogue, right. or any other, um, you know, exchanges. That, again, will lead to uh, development and implementation of those uh, regional, regional projects. I assume that you are uh, behind the uh, the manual work that goes uh, behind uh, uh, forming such an uh, association. How would you envisage uh, the way businesses communicate can communicate with the government and vice versa? Um, well, uh, there are of course uh, many conventional uh, methods. You know, in terms of forums, in terms of G two uh, B dialogues. Um, I think uh, for us it will be, um, I mean, as you said, uh, for an easy start, we would pr- try to, let's just say, replicate that on, on, a, on a regional level, right? And then, um, of course, involving, although, I mean, the, uh, uh, the organizations represent our national level, we also want to uh, bring in uh, some regional perspective. So, again, probably representative regional businesses, I mean, regions within the countries. Right. So, um, and uh, uh, basically build it from there. Of course, uh, I think it will be a bit of a long process in order to um, clearly define the directions and the formats of such a collaboration. But I guess the main players would be, uh, besides national uh, level business representatives also, I mean, um, country uh, regional level uh, business representatives um, and um, for me, I, what I see that uh, GTI, based on its you know modest experience in dealing with the different development issues, what it could bring to the table, which would be beneficial for those businesses, is basically its um, experience and expertise in terms of trade facilitation. Mm-hmm. So although not many, we have uh, initiated a few projects there, and uh, there's a uh, little you know, uh, expertise and, and, and knowledge that has been accumulated within this framework so that they could utilize it for such purposes, you know. Yeah, this is something that is very important right now, especially here in China, mm-hmm. that is trying to uh, boost the import into the country mm-hmm. from uh, yeah. countries like uh, Mongolia, Russia, and, of course, uh, the uh, South Korea. Uh, if a Chinese company or an organization which works in China, a foreign organization, would come to um, your secretariat and ask whether or not you can help out with uh, maybe uh, providing a list of companies in Mongolia or in Russia or in uh, South Korea in order to connect uh, to connect with. Would you be able to help them? Um, I would say uh, probably yes and no. I mean, at the moment, because... Uh, uh, we would uh, rely on our net- network, right? right? So it's a kind of a loose network of uh, related uh, people, uh, institutions and organizations, and as well as government agencies. So what I would say up front is that um, 
if and when the business association is established, of course, then it's, uh, let's just say, it's big, it will become an institution. Right. Uh, and then probably if... Uh, the Chinese company would want to some uh, would want some gather, would want to gather some kind of information on Mongolian businesses in its environment. Then we will the first door to knock on will be the Mongolian National Chamber of Commerce and Industry here who in would, Beijing. Uh, I mean, who would be our the member to that association, right? Okay, yes. So that's there, you know. And if they come today, because we are already in the uh, uh, we have the working relationship with this organization, we will do the same. Right. But probably it will be less official, I guess, right? Right. Yeah. But this is what you're striving to do. Yeah. So in the future, Basically. that could be uh, as simple as it could get. Yeah. Right. Now, uh, if we sh- can shift a little bit uh, towards uh, the potential future uh, of the initiative, are there any plans to uh, the GTI enlargement um, maybe uh, within the next couple of years? Um, yeah, it's basically one of the main uh, issues of uh, GTI's future uh, uh, as an institution, right? So, um, you know that uh, DPRK was a member to this initiative. It was a participating country during the previous program, and it's all about Northeast Asia. Where is when, when, Whenever we talk about Northeast Asia, it's not those four countries only. It's, of course, the Korean Peninsula, including the DPRK, and Japan. So um, other regional platforms that talk about Northeast Asia economic uh, economy as a region always involve those six countries, right? right. So again, but Japan uh, is not a member yet. Is not a member. Although I've read reports that they want to become a member. Um, they were an observer member. Right. When the um, during the time of uh, Great Jim Initiative, um, where the DPRK was a member, uh, signatory to this initiative, Japan was an observer member. So actually, we had those six countries uh, in our platform, and due to some reason, I mean, DPRK left, so did Japan. So now mm-hmm. it's a, a you know a collaboration of four countries. But again, you know, uh, it's basically for people who are familiar with GTI, it's been always the agenda that it's uh, basically a platform. To combine the six countries. Yeah, together. it's 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 a platform. It's a mechanism that um, considers the six countries right, right. of the region. Do you think that there's hope to get those countries back? I mean, yes. I mean, of course. Uh, with the reason working towards. Yes. Right. Uh, as a secretariat, of course, we are an administrative unit. There, I, uh, Probably I wouldn't, I couldn't uh, say anything more than that. But, uh, I mean, everybody's looking forward to it. Um, you know, monitoring the recent uh, positive political developments on the Korean Peninsula. I mean, yeah, this is, this is there. This, is, this has always been an agenda. For right. GTI, and with again with this recent uh, positive um, uh, changes, um, of course we are carefully monitoring and keeping our hopes up for uh, the more positive changes sooner rather than later. Well, let's hope so. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that GTI is supported, as uh, you've mentioned, by the UNDP and by UN ESCAP. Are there any cooperation channels with any other projects or platform organizations, uh, let's say maybe from the BRI countries or from the SEO countries? Yes. Um, so again, UNDP China provides administrative support. So they actually house us. They provide a, a roof uh, over yeah. the top of our heads. So uh, quite thankful for that. Um, uh, UNESCO, United Nations um, Economic and Social Commission of Asia-Pacific, 
through its regional office, um, uh, which is called the uh, East and Northeast Asia Regional Office, collaborates with us, right? So mm-hmm. for the East and Northeast Asia Office of uh, United Nations ESCAP, um, um, it's basically those six countries, right? Because DPRK is a member of the United Nations. I mean, uh, they have the full coverage. And right. that's why And um, many of um, the priority economic sectors and what they're doing at the moment, they're... Uh, near-term and longer-term perspectives are basically overlap with, with ours. So that's why uh, in the past and more recently we're trying to uh, actively look for more possibilities, more avenues for more structural and systematic um, uh, collaboration with, the, with, this, uh, with this institution. Mm-hmm. Um, so besides, uh, let's just say, um, occasional or ad hoc opportunities that come along, from different um, channels, through different channels, we are looking for more systematic work with um, this uh, institution, the being a UNESCO, right? And especially the Eastern Northeast Asia Office, it, which is supported by the MOU with them. Um, uh, recently, uh, of course, now we, in order to strengthen our network, right? Because uh, for me, GTI is all, all about network, all about those establishing platforms and, you know, strengthening connections. Uh, and by doing so, again, promoting policy dialogue, information exchange, uh, so and so on and so forth. So um, we have recently approached the uh, uh, Central, uh, Central Asia Regional Economic Cooperation Institute, CARIC Institute. Right. Mm-hmm. So CARIC would also you know, right. ring a bell for you because yes. it's basically, I mean, this same region, I mean, um, it really overlaps with that. So, uh, again, we are trying this kind of a soft approach because it's an institute. Right. It's a think tank, so we're looking for different opportunities for uh, joint activities in, again, regional research, studies, um, policy development, as well as other um, areas of common interest. So now we are planning, probably, hopefully, in the future, we could also uh, sign an MOU with them. Right. I mean, the Carrick Institute, not the Carrick itself. It's the Carrick Institute. Right. I think it's the second uh, international organization that is housed in China, if not a mistake, after AIAIB. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So it has a status of an international organization. Do you it have is, any relationship uh, with AIB? Uh, not really, not at the moment. Of course, we have some, um, let's just say, working level communications with them. Right. Again, being GTI, we definitely, I mean, we went there um, mm. to look for different opportunities and maybe there would be some kind of uh, a possibility of collaboration, them being an investment bank and us being a network. Exactly. Yeah, I mean... They we could, could use your platform, uh, the opportunities that you can provide uh, for the projects that uh, they might be interested in. Yeah, so this is basically the exact exact uh, point of discussion at the moment. Right. But again... And uh, it's, a new, t- it's a new structure as well, mm. so this is uh, uh, something that could definitely happen in the future for you. Yeah. Now, this being uh, the uh, Belt and Road Week, uh, in light of the uh, Belt and Road Forum, the second Belt and Road Forum that will occur here in Beijing during the weekend, uh, can you speak to a little bit about how you approach, uh, the, your organization approaches the uh, Belt and Road? Uh, do you have any uh, working relationships in this front with the structures that are connected to the Belt and Road, maybe through the... Uh, Silk Fund, 
uh, or the uh, Chinese Ministries of Commerce, anything that is related to the Belt and Road? And do you hope to maybe also facilitate uh, any projects uh, under the uh, Belt and Road Initiative? Yes, talking about our uh, mandate, basically, right? So uh, part of it uh, greatly overlaps with the thematic and, and the agenda, development agenda for the BRI. Um, and as you said, as you mentioned, through Ministry of Commerce, right? Um, whenever there is a uh, possibility of, uh, let's just mm-hmm. synergy, right? Again, BRI, it's far bigger um, platform with a lot of muscle. Um, and us being, again, a platform, um, uh, what happens is, uh, I think, um, through uh, policy development, um, the Chinese government, uh, through Ministry of Commerce and other uh, stakeholders and participants to this uh, um, initiative, the BRI, right, the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, in, uh, in some cases try to develop that, right, to try to bring the same agenda to the table and see how this could be, uh, you know, uh, unfold, both on... BRI isn't as well as us. Uh, so uh, we see, we could see that um, seamless connection uh, between the two. But again, I think it's in, in different different levels. And again, whenever there's an opportunity, um, I think through governments, through the uh, through uh, per, uh, governments who are participating in the BRI, uh, they could definitely use our platform, our um, uh, committees and boards uh, for, uh, let's just say. Uh, some uh, spin-off discussions uh, uh, or some thematic um, exchanges uh, and um, activities of that sort to support and complement uh, the bigger, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the bigger, let's just say, the bigger train. Right? right. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, us being the scholar on the Belt and Road, that is the podcast uh, designed for a younger audience. Uh, do you have uh, any idea or any thinking uh, on the involvement of the young generation uh, within your initiative and maybe uh, potentially even having your own youth league that could help disperse the information among the young generation about your important undertaking uh, within your initiative? Yeah, it's actually funny that you ask because uh, sometimes on the sidelines is always discussed, right? Again, mm-hmm. we are an institution in the making. There's a much uh, to do and to have secured before we could even talk about uh, such an initiative uh, as yours. But again, on the sidelines has been always the case. Um, and we sometimes discuss that uh, uh, maybe through some um, uh, web-based technology, I mean, using our website, we could actually you know, come up with those. I mean, Dealing with bigger issues, we could also think, think about some kind of this kind of more, let's just say, grassroots level initiatives, and you know, come up with a web-based platform for information sharing uh, mm-hmm. to promote uh, public awareness among younger generation about this initiative. And of course, and there, of course, when, whenever you talk about this kind of online platform, um, no matter how small it is, it, it has some, you know, longer-term effects. So uh, we, def- we on the sidelines, we sometimes discuss that. Um, so one of the um, uh, new projects internally that we're now initiating within the Secretariat is to strengthen our internal operations and, um, you know, improve our website as well as um, database, make it uh, rich in content. And mm. when I mean content, it's like in the mer- mo- modern version of it, right? So, so one of the contents 
could and would be um, such an online platform for uh, information sharing, uh, raising of the awareness, uh, and, uh, you know, basically providing that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a web platform for uh, the younger generation to uh, engage with GTI. Absolutely. Do you provide any internships maybe uh, within your secretariat? Yes, uh, actually, yes. Um, one of your colleagues here actually did an internship with us. Orma did an internship with us. was a great help. And actually, uh, um, you know, we quite rely on them as well, you know, during because it's a small unit and whenever we are right. uh, pressed with time and uh, tasks, uh, we actually um, do. Uh, uh, you know, involved a lot of internship in our internal work. So we can actually uh, disperse this information and uh, ask maybe potentially uh, the representative, the younger representatives of the four countries to uh, work uh, in your secretariat uh, uh, short term. Yes, of course. Uh, it's actually usually uh, demand driven, but again, we would um, we will try to, in its uh, best interest, to just to try to accommodate those kind of uh, you know personal individual initiatives right. as well. Now, uh, if we can sh- shift a little bit to your country, Mongolia. You're mm-hmm. from Mongolia. Um, in your career, you assumed multiple positions in Mongolia's public office, predominantly concerning foreign and domestic economy. Where, in your opinion, lies Mongolia's greatest potential for regional cooperation and what needs to be done to realize this potential? And maybe what do you think are the challenges for Mongolia today? Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at the region, uh, GTI for that matter, or even even, um, in a broader sense of the word, uh, Mongolia is a developing country. uh, underdeveloped infrastructure, um, uh, limited access to financing, um, so a whole lot, you know, a whole lot whenever you talk about poor and underdeveloped uh, economy, small economy for that matter as well, right? Um, uh, well, mining has been a big uh, agenda uh, for the past, uh, you know, a uh, couple of decades. As a, I mean, I mean, structurally, uh, the Mongolian economy is largely dependent on mining sector and m- export of raw materials to uh, neighboring countries, mainly China, of course. Uh, so again, uh, that's basically embedded in in, in the whole economy as well, uh, in the whole economic structure. Uh, so development of infrastructure that supports um, such um, industry, I mean, uh, predominantly uh, processing. Uh, adding value to extracted raw materials and exporting you know, an added, added value product. Probably that would be one of the major um, uh, interests. And I mean, when we talk about regional cooperation, again, it's being a export-oriented country which right. exports mineral resources. This is what we could provide to the region. Uh, I mean, Japan, China, ROK are those industries who are also um, in need of you know, in the in the foreseeable future, uh, being uh, in, in industrially developed countries, they are in need of those kind of um, uh, imports, right? On the other hand, um, mine doesn't really solve the problem, and actually, it becomes a, a source of a lot of problems in the economy. In itself, whenever yeah. you rely, you are reliant on this. And looking at our experience, I think, well, given, again, limitations in terms of economic structure, human resource, capital, technology, still we need to really see how we could um, 
get involved, engage, and be become an integral part of the regional value chains and the regional agricultural value chains, for that matter. Right? Um, again, um, the uh, actually the eastern region that is, let's just say, uh, namely the part of the Greater Tumen region, is basically a um, a cropland, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, having a vast potential in that area, it could easily, not easily, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it has a great potential to uh, become a um, grain crop producing, um, you know, uh, region uh, yes. uh, that could, you know, become as in, uh, the upstream of, uh, of that uh, type of a uh, regional agricultural value chain. So I think this is... But that requires a lot of investment. It does, as anything. Mm-hmm. So again, as a country with again with a limited access to financial markets, um, uh, predominantly, which is also limited by uh, issues of credit ratings, uh, uh, it's something that uh, the government uh, needs to really figure out and uh, think for the future, and you know, develop different programs, uh, really um, sustaining the economy and providing with. Um, Strengthen those elements and pillars of the of that economic structure that supports that, right? Support, right. Would support that. And this is where TGI can really be beneficial mm-hmm. to Mongolia. Yes. So um, I think um, in one of our uh, sectors, agriculture sector, this issue has also been raised and discussed on numerous occasions. Again, uh, being a, a small institution. Um, which works on, uh, let's just say, um, more technical level. Um, we want to uh, develop and strengthen that mechanism and platform which would uh, support discussions, promote this idea, and then in, uh, which in turn, in, in the longer run, would come up with uh, um, uh, those projects and programs, right? Or at least uh, serve as a complementary uh, um, tool or instrument to... Uh, uh, advance and promote the development of those projects in the region. Very interesting. I wish the best of luck to G- TGI, to you personally, as the director of the Secretariat. And it's been a revelation and very interesting to hear about your current status uh, within the initiative and your vision towards the future. Tukuldur, thank you very much for being on the podcast on the Scholar on the Belt and Road. Thank you for the day. I also wish you Wish you and your uh, colleague success in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you.